0: I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello and welcome back to the Wellprinter Online Podcast. This is episode 48 and I'm your host, Amanda Cook. and I am so glad that you're here to join me this week. To get inspired to grow your own wellness business. And this week I'm speaking to health counselor, Tracy Harrison, and this is one of those episodes where we really go in depth about how somebody started their business, how they got their first clients and how they've grown their business to this thriving, wonderful thing that it is today. And that's exactly what we're going to talk to Tracy about. Tracy had a 15 year corporate career in the high tech industry. And as she'll share during the interview, she decided she she had this experience, like many of us do, where she realized she needed to make a change, discovered IIN, and was going to retrain to become a health coach. And she actually was super brave and quit her job before she actually enrolled in IIN and started her training as a health coach, which she'll say she doesn't always recommend, but that was the, the path that worked for her. And Tracy was on fire, and she did 30 public speaking engagements during her first year in business and re- really started working. I think she said she worked with over 20 clients while she was still in her health coaching program and really got her business off to a strong start. So as I'm talking with Tracy, we're going to talk about how she got those first clients, where she was giving talks, what she was talking about, and how she converted those people that were in her first talks into clients. And we also dig into a subject that I'm really passionate about, which is email newsletters. Because Tracy truly believes, as do I, that your email newsletter is solid gold. Those people have raised their hands and said, yes, I want to hear from you and you need to communicate with them. This is your chance to speak to your audience. And so it shouldn't be the last thing to fall off the bottom of your to-do list. You know, this is something that's really a priority for our businesses, and that's what Tracy will be talking about, how she's really taken advantage of her email newsletter through the course of her business. So I just really enjoyed this talk with Tracy and I think you'll find it really inspiring actually to just hear how, you know, a behind the scenes look at how does a health coaching practice really work and how did Tracy really turn it into this successful virtual health coaching practice that she has running today. But just before we jump into this interview with Tracy Harrison, I just want to remind you that I'm also super passionate about building your email list. And if you'd like to grow your email list to a thousand fans and beyond, a thousand subscribers subscribers and beyond that actually want to hear from you and opted in to get your newsletters and and learn what you have to teach, then you definitely want to check out my course, which is called First 1000 Fans. And you can sign up for more information at wellprinteronline.com slash find your fans. I'd love to have you in that program with me and help you really start attracting true fans to your wellness business. And just as a final reminder, you'll be able to get all the links and show notes, everything that we talk about back on my website, which will be at wellpreneuronline.com slash forty-eight. So now let's jump into this interview with Tracy Harrison. Hi Tracy, thanks for joining me on the show today.
1: Thanks so much, Amanda. I appreciate your invitation. It's
0: exciting. Yeah, no, I really wanted to have you on actually to talk about how you've built your own health coaching business, because I know you've you've been doing this for about seven years now, and it's really transformed what you were explaining to me about how you started really as more of an in-person business and doing talks and then transforming it to an all online virtual business. And I thought that'd be really valuable for everyone to hear from your experience and and what you've been through and (laughs) have you share some of the tips that you've picked up along the way.
1: Okay, great. Yeah, it's been a a wonderful journey. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) So can you give us a little bit of kind of tell us the story? So I know you were in a corporate job before we both actually worked in the high tech industry and had kind of a total 360 moving into health and wellness. So can you tell us kind of how you got started with your health coaching practice?
1: Sure. I went to IIN in uh, 2007 and had had a a, a great career in uh, high-tech science for about 17 years. (laughs) And I had had 10 different jobs in 17 years, and it was very successful and lucrative and satisfying and all of that. But I was getting to be bored. I wanted to learn new things. And I, I actually had this deep longing for wanting to serve people in a more personal way. I really knew that I was ready for a change. And uh, I actually went on an outward bound adventure. And part of the experience we had was going off in the woods for on your own for a day and a half and to see what I guess you had to say to yourself and, and what truths you may not uh, have been listening to. And I basically uh, kind of pulled myself up for the bootstraps and realized it was time to get out of a rut. And bust out and do something new and and take a risk and be a beginner again and find a way to be more satisfied in serving people in a personal way to help them to live their best lives. So I came back from that Outward Bound adventure and actually gave myself about six to nine months to save enough money in order to shift gears and actually only made it about six months but uh, I think like a lot of people, I had a little bit of an, uh, an epiphanal experience learning about IAN, where um, a friend of mine introduced me to it on a whim. And, and of course, it really spoke to me. But unlike a lot of maybe people who are listening, I actually decided to quit my job before I went to IAN. Um,
0: I know. I can't believe that.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> well, really fair, brave of you. I appreciate that. It uh it, to me, it was a gesture of courage to really put my all of my skin in my game as far as being successful. But to be fair, I was single. I did not have a family or children. I was renting my home at the time. So I had a bit more freedom than I think a lot of people do in terms of making that choice. I'm not a big fan of making overly risky choices like that ahead of time unless people have good savings because I think it can put us in a place of fear
0: and then we don't necessarily make good decisions when we're fearful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, And also you give out, you know, if you're desperate for money and you're feeling really broke and and in a bad place, that people sense that vibe, which isn't very good for getting clients as well. That was perfectly said.
1: Yeah. And But the, I also
0: think there's something too about fully and I it's funny, I just talked about this with another guest, but there's something about committing yourself fully where there's no going back, like you just commit yourself that you're going to do this. And it seems to, in my experience, it seems to make things happen faster because you're all in, like you said, your skin, you know, you've got skin in the game.
1: Exactly. I think it's demonstrating to the universe that you're serious. And so I, I've learned that that really works for me. It's, it's like people who keep saying, I want to do a talk, I want to do a talk. And I often give the guidance that if you will just commit the date for the talk and start telling people about it, it will come together. But we have to, at some point, make a commitment on some level in order to help all of the pieces to fall together.
0: So what happens? So you quit your job, you went through IIN, and then you started this business. And what did your first health coaching business look like?
1: I started up uh, doing in-person individual counseling using the uh, the six-month program that IIN recommends, which I, I'm a big advocate of using the tools that you're given right out of the shoot just so it's easy to get started because i think you everybody learns as they go along what style really works for them but i think we have to get going in order to learn that and so i started seeing clients pretty quickly actually i had seen probably over 20 clients before i finished iin so i again because i had that skin in the game i got started pretty quickly and i was doing sessions in person uh either seeing clients in my living room or at a at their homes or a few folks in a local cafes. But uh, it was all focused on in-person counseling. And it's interesting. I thought initially that I wanted to help burned out corporate people because I had experienced so much of that in high tech. And I think, as I said earlier, you have to get started doing health coaching to learn what you really like, because I, I learned that I didn't like serving that market at all. I found it really exhausting, actually, and not intellectually stimulating enough. And I found I I didn't like six month programs. I liked three month programs. So a number of things changed, but I had to really get started in order to learn that.
0: Yeah, I just want to emphasize that point, because I think that's so true about pretty much every aspect of your business is that if you sit in your office, you know, we all sit here in front of our computers and try to make this master plan for how everything's going to work. And you almost feel like if you think about it enough, you'll figure it out. And I think that's actually not true. In a lot of cases, it's what you said, which is you learn by doing and by actually trying it and seeing, does this work for you? Is this what you enjoy doing? And so you just, I think it's fantastic how you just got yourself out there and saw 20 clients before you graduated. And, you know, you didn't need an office. You just went and saw people in their houses or in a cafe and you just need to get out there and do it. I think
1: what you said is one of the most important tips that I give to a lot of other coaches, which is not spending too long doing anything. Whether it's a logo or a business card or business structure or your name or your website or anything, because two years in, you're going to want to change it all anyway.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And the way to get really going is to get out of our offices and get out there and get to know people, because I think most coaches don't have thriving businesses because the clients looking for
0: them don't know they exist (laughs) <laughs> hmm Good point, because we're in our offices trying to make our websites perfect.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it, it's really funny you say that, because I just don't think that a lot of strangers are going to stumble upon our websites and say, oh, look, I really want to share all the intimate details of my life with this person. Mm-hmm. It just, I don't find it works that way at all. So how did you find your clients at first when you were first getting started? I did a tremendous number of talks. This is something I'm really passionate about. And and I was building an in-person business in my community. And in the spirit of wanting to create some awareness, some visibility, some buzz, I wanted to be as visible as possible. So I certainly threw myself into a variety of networking events. But I think the most important thing I did was made myself of service in the community and pretty much any organization that would have me, I went and did a 45 minute talk. I really liked the eating for energy, you know, how not to be uh, stressed out of your mind and exhausted and and whatnot. I did a little bit of the sugar blues, but mostly it was eating for energy. And I talked at the local mother's club, the running club, PTAs, a few different municipal groups like Kiwanis Club or Key Clubs. I went and spoke in Two or three different chiropractor's offices, a couple of different acupuncturist offices, several different church women's groups, a couple of different, well, actually, probably a handful in the first year, corporations for lunch and learn type sessions. Mm -hmm. And I I calculated that within the first year and a half of my practice, I think I did 30 talks. And. I wasn't paid, I don't think, for any of those. Maybe for just a couple of them, there was a small, a small payment. But I basically build these as just community service, uh, wanting to put my name out there, wanting people to learn who I am. And I did not do any sales pitches as part of those talks. I simply put a list in the back of the room where they could give me their email address uh, if they wanted to receive my newsletter with health and wellness tips. And then I had a little stack of business cards. And I think that strategy, to be honest, worked very well for me because there was no pushiness. There was no sales pitch. I personally am not a fan at all of offering free consultations at the end of a talk because I think that that's kind of like the, you know, come and hear our sales pitch for a free weekend at the condo in Florida and people dread the sales pitch. They're not listening. I think people want value. They want to see value demonstrated. And then they want to come back to you because what you
0: shared resonated with them and and was of great value. So that's really interesting because as I have different people on the podcast, people have different takes on how they leverage speaking. So in your experience, you weren't doing a sales pitch. You're just delivering value during the talk. And then you said you had your sign-up sheet and your cards in the back of the room. So how did you find that then those people turned into clients? What was that process like for you?
1: I would say the majority of them were people signing up for, to be on my newsletter distribution and receiving my information. Uh, as we were discussing earlier, I am a very, very big advocate of publishing a regular e-newsletter or uh, blog. The key is that you have to do it regularly. And in my experience, you really want to touch base with your audience twice a month every couple of weeks so that you're, you stay fresh in their mind. And certainly some people took business cards and called me or contacted me afterward because what I spoke about resonated with them. I may have talked about a particular symptom or ailment that resonated with them. And so some clients came to me directly, but I really think I have had hundreds of clients via the newsletter where people reach out to me via email saying, hey, I've been getting your newsletter for a year and a half and I finally decided it's time for me to bite the bullet and get some help. Or people will say, "Uh, hey, my best friend sent me your newsletter. This is really awesome. I've been looking for somebody like you.
0: So Tracy, I'm just sitting over here nodding because anybody listening to the podcast knows I'm obsessed with email lists. I think it's it's just one of the biggest assets of your business. And that's how, that's your power of getting in touch with the people that have opted in to hear from you, the people that want to hear from you, rather than having to wait for them, like hoping that they'll come back to your website. You have the power to reach them. And so I would just love it if you talk a bit more about you know this newsletter that you put out every two weeks, so by now you've been running your business seven years, so you've done lots of newsletters um, and I'd love to hear some of your tips and what you've learned about you know how can we make our newsletters actually interesting and readable and and that's the ultimate goal is when people f- send them to their friends like how do you what do you put in them that makes that happen?
1: Well, I will say of course i didn't I was not very effective in the beginning. <laughs> it took me a little while to increase my open rate but It's been um, sitting at about between 40 and 50% for a long time, which is a a very good rate. And I've learned that I think there are five things that are really key. The first one is the frequency. You can't send your newsletter and then take a three-month break because you're busy and then expect people to really have some momentum with you. I think we have to really commit to publish regularly. And so having some type of a schedule in your calendar that helps you to do that is really key. The second thing I think is really key is keeping newsletters very short. I see a lot of coaches really struggle to publish a newsletter that has three, four, five, six articles. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to read that uh, lengthy of a, of a thing. A business coach gave me some guidance a few years ago that someone should be able to glean all the value they want from your newsletter in five minutes or less. And I think that's a really good uh, milestone
0: to shoot for especially nowadays, because so many people, you know, you're standing in line at the grocery store and you just open the newsletter on your phone and you're reading it. I mean, we're just reading on the go now. We're not necessarily in front of a computer. So I think that's a really good guideline.
1: So short, you know, short and to the point and is the the second thing. I think the third thing is that it needs to tell them something they don't know. I see a lot of people publishing newsletters that are repeating the same old guidance that show up in every magazine, every generic women's magazine you might pick up. Drink more water, eat more vegetables, get more sleep, don't be stressed. This is, it, it's, it ends up all sounding very saccharine now because it's so highly publicized. People need to know things that are more provocative or more creative, more shocking, more immediately practical for them. So, I like publishing real, clear, practical tips, things like, you know, if you're constipated 10 to 1, you're deficient in magnesium, you know, keep reading to see how easy it could be to fix. Or if you're taking a statin medication, you're depleting your body of CoQ10 and probably making your heart even weaker. You know, is that really what you want to be doing? And and using that as a promotion for that. Or if you struggle with a lot of colds and flus, do you know the number one category of food you should take out of your diet? I think people want practical, informative, interesting, different, creative type of
0: information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously you're coming at it from... Oh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like a very biochemical, really sciencey perspective. And that mm-hmm. totally fits with you and, and how you are. So I think for everybody listening, you know, you don't have to give those same kind of tips that Tracy was talking about. But, you know, what's your angle? What's your business about? If it's targeting new moms, then maybe you're, you know, you're giving tips around that. But something, I think your point's really valid is that it's, you know, it's something that's not just, yeah, drink water, eat more greens, like the generic stuff they hear everywhere. Tailor it for your niche and your expertise. Exactly. And I I think related
1: to that, the next thing that I I think is key is really using your own voice. Lots of times folks are trying to sound, I don't know, more professional or more hands-off. But one of the things I think that helps our clients to come to us and then stay with us is they feel cared for, they feel loved up. And so I think it's important to let your version of loved up come across in your newsletter and not to shirk from the natural language and the natural personality that you would give sitting here chatting with you, right? Mm -hmm. It should come across the same way in your newsletter. And if you like to make jokes, you should make jokes. And if you're into puns, you should share puns. And if you're language is very flowery, then you should be flowery. But that's part of allowing people to really see you as you really are and celebrate you because they want to be on your list. So clearly they like what you have to offer.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And they like you. Yeah. But don't you think, I mean, having done this for seven years and I've been running my website for, oh, geez, like six years or so. And I remember in the beginning, people would say, oh, you need to find your voice. And that's another one of those things I don't think you can just find by Stressing out in your office and thinking about it. I think that just comes from writing. You know, you just write over and over and send those newsletters and write your blogs, and and you find it. Oh, I mean, is that your experience?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's important,
0: like you said, to just
1: get started. I'm a big advocate of the notion that we tend to achieve our goals by being willing to take imperfect action in an assertive way. I think most of us are looking to take perfect action. And so we're waiting for the perfect article or the perfect logo or the perfect topic or, or any of those things. And I, we end up being stymied and then we don't move ahead and play as big of a game and serving people as we
0: could. Mm-hmm. So Tracy, so your business now over the past few years has really shifted. And you were telling me that now it's 100% virtual and you work with everybody over Skype and, and remotely. How did you make that change? in a very hesitant way. Uh, To be honest, I was very
1: resistant to the concept. I had a limiting belief that uh, working with people remotely would be perceived as being impersonal, or I would not develop as strong a rapport with my clients. And I ended up moving to uh, doing some of my client work via phone because I had a a couple of uh, of clients in the in the winter time who uh, couldn't drive very well. Uh, one elderly woman in particular who couldn't see well in the the darker afternoon hours in New England in the winter. And so she said, "Why don't we just do our phone our work via phone?" And I really noticed how well our work went, and I I was kind of intrigued by that, and I had started looking for property in order to move from New England down here to uh, the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. And I was traveling quite a bit. And so I started moving some of my clients to every other session via phone just to get them in the habit of it and to get them comfortable with it. And from there, it became pretty easy to move them to all phone work. And of course, at the same time, I had already starting all of my new clients off with phone work but i was in resistance to it but what i really learned via experience is that in some ways phone work actually allows you to build a closer relationship with people because you certainly do miss the body language that people give off but there's a privacy to doing work via phone that i think almost <laughs> almost allows people to feel like they're in confessional of some kind mm-hmm. where they have privacy they feel protected in some way, and they can just be more open, especially when talking about some of their challenges and some of their stumbles, some of their primary food gaps. I really feel like people open up more. They're not having to worry about my reaction to things or whether they're physically comfortable in a space or who might be overhearing. I think it makes it easier for them to be at home in their comfy clothes, sitting in a private space and a
0: couch and just letting it all hang out. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I've, I found that too, is that it's just so much easier in a way. Yeah. It's easier to open up when you're, you, you feel like there is that privacy there because you're just hearing the other person. You're not actually there with them, but I'm wondering, and did you have any challenges explaining that to your clients? Like if somebody out there is, is thinking, oh, that would, I'd really like to try that. And working with some clients over the phone or over Skype, how do you make that transition? What do you, what do you tell to your clients to get them to be on board with that?
1: Well, what I did, and I'm, I, this was a very particular reason I think people could send out any number of justifications, but I basically said that my life was requiring more travel, but I wanted to continue to meet with all of my clients regularly. And so in order to accommodate that travel every other week, there, every other session rather, they, we would be meeting via phone and that would allow me to plan my travel during those weeks so that I could still be meeting with them while I was in a different place. And so it was a very practical reason and there were certainly a few clients who pushed back on it. Well, essentially what I said is, you know, I appreciate where you're coming from. What I'd like to ask you to do is let's just try it. Let's, let's try it for three or four sessions and see how it works for you. And two of one, every single person adapted to it just fine. But I think it would be easy enough for people to just explain that I'm going through some changes in my life and some of my commitments that's necessitating me shifting my practice to where I'm doing some of my work remotely. And so I um, like to begin to have sessions via phone. And you can also build up the benefits of it. You know, it's an advantage that you can be comfortable in your home environment. You don't have to deal with traffic or additional travel or scheduling issues. And if there's inclement weather, certainly in New England, it was a real boon just because Mm. of snowstorm, you could still meet with people. Yeah, definitely. Nobody was running late. So I think it helps to build up the list of practical benefits. And then just ask people to try it for three or four sessions. And, you know, that's going to end up being three or four months down the road. And my experience at that point was everyone had adapted to it. And for the new people coming on board, They were informed right up front. I just said, you know, I do all of my work remotely via phone. And so they didn't know anything different.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always easier when you when you take on new clients, then you can kind of try out new things and and shift it to be the way that you want your business to be. But it's always that tricky bit of how do you shift over your existing clients? But that was really helpful. Thank you. So I'm wondering, because we're kind of getting to the end of our time together, it's gone really fast, but I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit about what you're doing now, because now you started, you're still running your health coaching business or your health counseling business, but now you've started another business as well.
1: I have. About four years ago, I started Wildly Successful Health Counselors. And because of my strong scientific background, uh, as you well said earlier, my health coaching practice has become clinical. In focus. And I've had the blessing in my practice of being fully loaded for several years now. And with pretty much 100% of my referrals now being from prior clients, which is a real blessing. It's a wonderful place to be. But I really understand that one of the reasons for that success is being able to confidently apply good, strong clinical know how in helping my clients to not just feel a little bit better, but to feel much, much, much better. And so I started Wildly Successful Health Counselors in order to teach the fundamentals of functional medicine to health coaches, regardless of whether they have a science background or not, so that they too can get more significant results for their clients. I call it wildly satisfying your clients rather than mildly satisfying them, because my experience is that those people are much more likely to renew their programs with you again and again. And they're also much more likely when they've improved that much to tell everyone they know about you, you know, their family, their friends, their colleagues. And that's what leads to this wonderful turnover of prior client referrals that can help people to focus more on serving these clients rather than on marketing and stressing over getting new clients over and over again from scratch. Mm
0: hmm. So, Tracy, I have to ask as another person who owns two businesses and runs two businesses, how do you do it? How do you balance it? What have you found that works for you? I'm really curious.
1: Well, my health counseling practice has grown to the point where I've actually hired a few health coaches as staff members. So, we're serving a lot of clients now, really, as a team. You know, I think one of the things, and I know we didn't talk about this before, but I know you're a big advocate of it, you have to have help. So, I am a very big fan of virtual assistants. I have two of them do a tremendous amount of work for me. And I am a a very big advocate of acquiring the support of a virtual assistant before you think you need it, because that's what creates the space so that you can do more talks and go to more networking and put yourself out there in a bigger way. But all things like scheduling and asking for updates and billing and updating Facebook pages and compiling your newsletter and all of those things, unless you love doing them, because it's just a a habit, hobby, fun for you. You want to delegate all of that stuff. It really has been a vital part of my business to have the support of, for a long time, one, uh, Harriet, who's just been a a right hand for me. And then more recently, Sharon. They do a tremendous amount
0: of work to allow me to be successful and having a foot in two different camps. I'm so glad you said that, because you you probably know I just released a three-part series, actually, all about hiring your first virtual assistant. Because I think it's so necessary and it's so freeing when you finally, I mean, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money and just even a couple of hours a week to have somebody take over some of those tasks for you. And just, it, it shifts you into the mindset of being a business owner. And like you said, frees up so much space so that you can focus on growing your business. So I'm really glad you mentioned that.
1: The other thing, I do think that owning your time is really key. I am a very big fan of scheduling in the key activities that you need to do to be successful. So in addition to obviously having client appointments in my schedule, my commitments to myself to say, write my newsletter or to put together a seminar content, you know, slides or that kind of thing, or to plan it. Those are things that aren't just on a to-do list, but there's actually blocks of time Planned in my schedule that I treat as seriously as other appointments with clients. And I think that keeps me out of procrastination. And keeps me very focused on what needs to be done so that those more strategic types of activities don't
0: end up falling to the bottom of the stack and never getting done. Mm-hmm. And I think that happens, especially around newsletters. I hear that happening with lots of practitioners and coaches that it's just it never seems that urgent. So it just keeps falling off the to do list. But actually, like you said, that's how you keep in touch with your audience. That's how you keep in touch with your potential clients. And it's it's just as, as important as any other client appointment.
1: Yeah, I agree with you completely. Your newsletter distribution list I, is what I like to call liquid gold, because those are people who know you, they like you, and on some level, they trust you. And that is by far the highest impact avenue I think any of us has for getting new clients, whether it's directly or indirectly or via referral. So I think it should be one of our highest
0: priorities. hmm Well, thanks, Tracy, so much for joining me. It's been really interesting talking to you. And I'm I'm sure it's really inspired people to go out and challenge themselves to do 30 speaking opportunities in a year like you did and really kickstart their businesses. That's just awesome. Can you tell us where people can find you if they want to learn more about what you're doing and um, your functional medicine training or just to get in touch with you and ask a question?
1: Sure. I would love any questions that anyone wishes to ask. The website is wildlysuccessfulhc.com. And uh, I actually publish a weekly uh, clinical functional medicine pearl every week. And so folks can opt into that if they wish. And there's actually a free clinical course on the site that's um, accessible when folks opt in. So that's a wonderful educational opportunity there that's completely free of charge. And my email address is Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, at wildlysuccessfulhc.com. And I welcome any questions, any comments. folks might want to raise. I coach uh, dozens of coaches myself on the clinical side. And so if anyone has a particular need or something they want to ask, I'm more than happy to help.
0: It's really a passion for me. That's great. Thanks so much, Tracy. And I'll put all those links as well that you mentioned in the show notes so people can get them there. So thanks so much, Tracy, for your time. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate
1: the opportunity and thank you for providing the service for all coaches. I'm grateful for that. It's really
0: lovely. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to episode 48, where we've just finished talking to Tracy Harrison, all about how she's built her own health coaching business. As a reminder, you can get all the links and everything we talked about in the show notes, which are at wellpreneuronline.com slash 48. So I'm wishing you a great week with tons of success and momentum in your wellness business. And I will see you back here next week for the next episode.